In case you didn't know, every time I'm up here, I preach the next couple verses of Philippians. And so right now we're in Philippians chapter two. And so in my last sermon, it was like the first 11 verses. And as a reminder, right, Paul is in prison and he's reaching out to this church he started that he really, really loves and he's super close to. And it's a very awesome relationship. And so he's been urging this church that he started to stand strong in the face of opposition. He's been urging them to recognize what Jesus has already done in their lives and respond accordingly. He's urging them to be a united front and stick together. He's urging them to have the same mind and to show the same love to the world that Jesus Christ has shown them. He's urging the Philippian church to see the example that Jesus Christ is and has laid before us, not only for our relationships moving forward, but how humble even he comes to the Father. And lastly, his obedience even unto death. Paul is urging them to not only mimic Jesus Christ's example, but to see that its purpose is that people might come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Now, I know that can sound very religious and really churchy. I totally get that, but it's so real. It's plainly spoken because it's so real and it just is. And so the next portion of scripture that we'll be into today includes something super important to understanding spiritual success. And if I look around the room, I'd be willing to bet almost every single one of us would love to say that we have success spiritually. We would say, I want to get stronger. I want to be more mature. I want to grow spiritually, I hope. Now, I feel like that's something we say we want, but it oftentimes is overshadowed by our selfish desires. It's overshadowed by our wants and our own needs. And Root River, I'll just be honest with you. My fear is that we've abandoned our responsibility in this walk with Jesus Christ that we've grown accustomed to let go and let God and we don't participate, that we'd rather watch from the sidelines than step a foot on the field, play the game, that our hearts have been warped by the comforts of our excess. And consequently, we just might not see our error anymore. And I'm terrified of that for my own faith. And I'm terrified that for you guys here at Root River Church. And maybe that's just me, but it's, it's weighing heavy on my heart this morning and this last week. Because honestly, I believe that there's more. I believe that there's more to our Christianity, there's more to our walk, there's more to our relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that there's more demanded of us. I believe our King has tasked us with something and we have an obligation based on who he is to take action. And honestly, I know that I've missed the mark in the past and I believe that we might continue that way moving forward. So this morning, my hope for each of us is that we wouldn't skirt around the truth in our own relationship. We're all in different spots in our walk with God, whether we're his or we're not. We're all in different spots. And my hope, my hope is that we wouldn't skirt around the truth about the status of our relationship with Jesus. That we would just be honest with ourselves. If we're being disobedient, just own it and say, hey, I'm being disobedient. My hope is that each of us would have an opportunity to examine how genuinely we're doing this thing called Christianity. How serious we're taking it. But before we get into these next verses in Philippians 2, I would love the opportunity to pray for the service and for each of you. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you that I get to do life with this, these people at Root River Church. Thank you that you have called me to spread the gospel, and you called every single one of us to spread your gospel, the good news of what you've done to reconcile us back to God the Father. So I pray today, Lord, with a humble heart that you would be glorified in today's service, that you would 
open our hearts to receive what you have for us, God, that we would be honest with ourselves because you know the inner parts of our hearts and our minds. And so I pray, Lord, that today, Lord, that you would again open our hearts, that we would see what you want us to see, hear what you want us to hear, and know what you want us to know, and that it would cause us to action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll go back into it. It's Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So that first verse and verse 12, I'm going to read it again, but there's a few words in that verse that we're going to talk about that really, really popped out to me today. And it's this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm sure you picked up on those keywords, but I'm going to say them, therefore, obeyed, work out and fear and trembling. I kept seeing that in my mind. I was like, I have to define what those things are so that I truly understand what Paul's trying to say to this church. And so we know because of Paul that Jesus in these earlier verses, makes himself humble because he was obedient and he took the very nature of a lowly servant. And as a result, the passage says that God exalted him to the highest place and that he was rewarded for his obedience. And because of that, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is who he says he is. That's where we just left. But Paul now is saying, don't stop, Philippian church. Don't stop now. Keep going. You're headed in the right direction. You're on the right path. You're going to the right place. And what I love about this is Paul, I say this every time I'm up here, I feel like, but he's such a great leader. He's such a great leader to this church. He's he's giving them what they need. But what I like about this is that he's giving them positive reinforcement when surely he could probably be giving them correction. He could correct them if he wanted to, and they would submit to that. But he's giving them positive reinforcement. But if you look at Paul's earlier passages, and certainly in other letters, we see him give examples of things that people are either doing or not doing, and he says, do the opposite. He does it all the time. He does it a lot. But in this passage, he does not do that. Here he says, as you have always obeyed. So I pause and I read that, and I'm like, would Paul say that of me? Would Paul say that of Root River Church? Would would Jesus Christ say that of me? Would Jesus Christ say that of Root River Church? But Paul says this about the Philippian church, and I think it's because he knew what they needed. This was a compliment. He's affirming them. And Paul, because he's like, I feel like he's got to be some type of romantic guy because he's always like, dear friend, beloved, all these things. He keeps saying that in this letter. He said it four times now. And I see this as him being intentional. He wants to make sure that when the Philippians read this letter, it's out of love. That when the Philippians read this letter, they remember who Paul was when he was with them, because right now he's in chains. He's encouraging them to do something, and he certainly is not lording his relationship with them over them. He's not lording some missing task that they haven't done yet, or these next steps. He's just affirming them. So he continues, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. Right there, when I read that, I was like, I 
I could guess what this means. I could just spew it out and I might be right, I might be wrong, but I feel like I would be right. I'd be confident in saying what it means. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But I wanted to study it a little more just in case I was wrong. And spoiler alert, I was wrong. (laughs) The phrase work out is one word, okay? And it's important that we look into this word because at first glance, it could be problematic to our understanding of our role in salvation. What he's saying is no small or simple thing. It's actually very important and it actually can be confusing. And I know it can be confusing because there's a lot of people that will say some things that I'll mention in a bit. We need to clarify what this means. People often misread this as we should work for our salvation. People often believe and think and read this and and say we ought to work toward our salvation as if we're accomplishing it on our own merit. Some people believe that we must earn our way to heaven, so they fill their life with seemingly good works. They donate to charity. They go to church on Sundays. They volunteer. They play on the worship team. All things that might seem to carry some weight, that might seem to have high value in the kingdom of God because they're doing to get salvation. But that's wrong. And I think Paul, in his letters, writes so much about salvation and what it is and where it comes from that we couldn't couldn't possibly believe that we can earn it. And so I want to be very clear about that. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Pastor Scott preached on that already. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in my mind, it's like, oh, I got to work from, I got to be doing something. I got to be active. I got to be proving that I, you know, I'm a, a Jesus follower. And, and if I don't, then I'm, I'm going to hell. It's like, there's a fine line there that we often think about. So I'm like, all right, Paul, what do you mean by work out your salvation? What do you mean? So I'm going to take you to last week's sermon. Pastor Scott preached on this, and I'm not going to pretend to know all of these things. I'm going to read it as he wrote it, and I understand them, but I certainly didn't come up with them, okay? But they are true, and I'm going to try to explain it to you. In last week's sermon, Scott showed us the difference between two types of commands. First is present, active, imperative, okay? That means continually taking an action to fulfill. Me being, I'm doing something to complete it. I'm taking an action. And the example he gave is children obeying their parents. Kids got to do something to obey their parents. It just doesn't happen. And it's not gifted to them. They've got to do something. But the other type of command that he talked about was present passive imperative. He said, we become the object. We're to be acted upon. We don't act. And the example he gave was out of Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And at first glance, we might think we need to do something to be strong, that the strength comes from us, but it's better better read as be continually being made strong. So someone else is making you strong. It's not actively me doing something, rather I'm being empowered by an outside force. And so this phrase, work out your salvation, is the same. It's the present passive imperative. That makes you the object. You're being acted upon by an outside party. You're being empowered by a separate force, having nothing to do with your own capabilities. So it might be better read as continue to let it be worked out in you. I'm going to say it again. Continue to let it be worked out in you. And so I'm so thankful for verse 13 because he clarifies where that comes from. And you all know, and we can't run from that. It's this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 
It's not you. It's not your mom, your dad, your siblings, your friends, your pastor. It's Jesus Christ. And so Paul said this in chapter one. God is, he already said this, God is going to finish the good works he start, good work he started in you, not you. You're not going to complete it. God is. And so Christianity, and I was, when I was reading through this, I was like, Christianity is more than some decision to say with my mouth. I felt super strongly about that because I can claim it with my mouth but there's got to be more than just my words. It's more than some decision to say it with my mouth, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It's a determination to walk slash work out my faith with Jesus Christ daily. Daily submitting to what he's spoken in the Bible. Daily choosing to be selfless. To follow him wherever he leads. Daily allowing him to correct me in my wrong motives. Daily letting conviction change how I see the world. Daily choosing to put others first. Working out our salvation is submission and obedience to what he's doing. And we need to make sure we're taking this as serious as Paul has. Paul's like the ride or die. Paul is the serious go-getter. He takes this so severely. It's not something small. It's so dire to him. We do have a responsibility to work out what God has worked within to the very end. This is how he talks about the faith. This is how he talks about how it's supposed to look to the very end. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Next verse, Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air. Hebrews 3. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That one slapped me. I'm going to read it again. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And lastly, Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Not only is Paul not taking this lightly, he's saying it can't be temporary. And as far as frequency goes, it can't pulse. It has to be consistent. The implication of having a relationship with Jesus Christ is that we're characterized by what he says in this verse, obedience. We allow all that accompanies that to transform every aspect of our lives, even the ones we've pledged our allegiance to. So he continues on to verse 14. And it seems like he just randomly inserts another command here. I feel like it comes out of nowhere, but it's, it's actually twofold. And first, it's the kind of behavior that is a result of allowing God to work in us. And then second, he's actually quoting Moses. And that really took me by surprise because it takes you to a whole other story and gives you a context behind why he says that. And so I'm going to read it really quick. Verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, 
children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. If you haven't caught it, Moses is alluding to the Israelites and Moses leading the Israelites. He's talking about their pilgrimage to the promised land that has been plagued with complaining and grumbling. Pause. So when I looked at that and I'm like, think about what really, really happened. Can you imagine? They had been freed by, they had been freed of slavery. They had been delivered from hell, their personal hells. And they had been a witness to the many miracles and the providence and the deliverance of God. And for you to complain to and attack the very man that's leading you out of that, how absurd. And then I said that to God. And then he's like, yeah, how absurd, Juan. Man, now eventually Moses was a bit fed up. And as they were gearing up to have Joshua take over his role, he landed here in this verse with regard to his people. And it's, I think it's Deuteronomy 31, 27. If you have been rebellious against the Lord while I am still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? Moses said that. The leader of this caravan of people out of slavery said that to the people that he had been watching and leading all these years. He came to that conclusion. Moses accused his people of being a warped and crooked generation, and that's what Paul says. But what's cool is that Paul is suggesting the exact opposite of the Philippian church. His people. He says the Philippian church is living amongst a crooked and depraved generation. He didn't say the Philippians were among. They weren't, they weren't the actual crooked and depraved. It says they were living amongst them. He's telling them they're fulfilling Israel's promised role of being a light to the nations. How special, how severe. So instead of correcting them of any errors, he sees their faithfulness. He sees this church that he planted. He sees them let God work in their hearts, transform how they're thinking, how they're living. He sees how God has changed them inwardly, and he sees the effects of it outwardly. He sees them working out their salvation, and he commends them for it. He's charging them to keep up. So church, when we cling to the word of life, like he says in this passage, when we allow God to shape our hearts and our minds, we will shine like stars, like Paul says. There will be a contrast. There will be proof, and we will have something to take to unbelievers that's supernatural, not just you. When you allow God to work in you, you will see exactly what he says in the beginning of this whole chapter. You will see yourself having the same mind as Jesus with other believers, the same love, all having one purpose. You won't be selfish. You'll find yourself being more humble. You'll put others first. You'll empty yourself. You'll be obedient and you won't grumble. It's a result of your obedience and God working in your life because of it. Then I thought this to myself, what if I'm not seeing that in my life? What does that say about your relationship with them? And it was like a spear through my chest. It was like, yeah, there are many times I don't see that in my life. And it's not because he's not doing it. It's because I'm not letting them. Our change, Fruit River, that's our witness. Letting others see what God's doing in our life, that's our witness. It's our reflection to the truth of the truth to all nations. And all of this is so important because if we choose not to obey, right, We choose not to let God work out salvation in us. Our reach to the lost in the world becomes weak and ineffective. So then why are we here? And here's the truth. We've all aligned ourselves to something other than Jesus. We came from an allegiance to the world and he pulled us out of that. 
But we have an opportunity to align ourselves with Jesus Christ, to pledge allegiance to him, allowing him to mold us to his liking. And it's going to be painful. It's going to cause distress in your family and among your friends. It's going to be uncomfortable, but I can promise you that it's worth it. And if you're here today and you haven't aligned yourself with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that someday you won't have that option again. You won't. And that makes me want to cry for you. That I know breaks God's heart. But you won't have that option again, and I'm begging you. You don't have to, you don't have to change for me. Just ask yourself those tough questions. You know your relationship with God. You be honest with yourself about what your status is. I don't want to scare you or force your hand, but I just want to provide you that opportunity to make that decision. Verse 17. This is Paul. Paul is so good. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Paul is so good. Paul is such a beast. As Christ emptied himself, Paul's like, I'll do it. And he's doing it. And it, he doesn't just die. He keeps enduring. He keeps enduring. He keeps enduring. And he's saying, hey, man, you can do this too. Keep at it. Keep letting God change you. you you'll be right there. There's this imagery of sacrifice Paul's talking about, of giving over to God what is costly and valued in your life. It's kind of like a continual act of worship. It is a continual act of worship, giving your most costly and valued items over to God. It's like he talks about in Romans. It's truly presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So I ask myself, okay, what's more costly than our selfishness or our comfort zones or our sin? Because surely I can give up TV and surely I can give up, you know, going to church all the time. I can give up all the easy things or the things that are for him. I could totally give him that worship and sacrifice. But we all know what only you know. We all know that there's something in there that only you know about you. And will you give that up? Will you be willing to be obedient to that? Man, Paul gets that. And even though he's pointing us to Jesus, he's a great example to us. Even though he's saying, hey, do what, do what Jesus is doing. I feel like that's unattainable sometimes. And I'm looking at Paul. I'm like, but Paul did it and he's not God. He did it. I can at least get there and I'm far from it. So Paul writes this letter. And he wants you to know to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today, Lord, humbly asking for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we recognize that you've sent this great man, Paul, to churches all over the world to spread your good news. And and that message is still here today. And we thank you that you've given us this word of life to hold on to, like it says in this passage. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you give us strength, that you strengthen us, Lord, because we know it's not our own. Empower us to allow you to work in our lives, to not just let go and let you do whatever is going on so I can be a spectator. I pray, God, right now that you would break down those barriers in our hearts, that we would see you for who you say you are and know that it, it demands, it demands obedience. We thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. And I pray, Lord, as we end the service today, God, that you will continue to speak in our lives, continue to convict us. And Lord, I pray for those who have been believers their whole lives and that are comfortable, including myself, God. I pray for those of us who aren't taking steps forward, who aren't being transparent, who aren't allowing you to mold us continually. Forgive us for plateauing in our walk with you, for not allowing you to mature us, for not giving our bodies as living sacrifices to you in an act of worship. Forgive us, God. But I also pray, Lord, those in the room that are are not sold out to you, 
for those in the room who have not made you the Lord and Savior. Show them that you are who you say you are, God. Allow them to answer those tough questions that they have about you. Pray that we have a good rest of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.